guys have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts chapter 9. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. And that last song just kind of summarized the book of Acts. So powerful, so uh, anointed. I just love that song, just about the Spirit of God just pouring out, empowering. And that's what we see. It's the Acts of the Apostles. Pastor Brad rightly said in the beginning, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was moving in his early church. And our prayer, why we've been away, is that when we return, the Holy Spirit would just do great and mighty, powerful works in our church, in our lives. And so we can't wait to see and to hear testimonies. But we believe that God is going to do something in this fresh season. As we come back, we want to pray that his Holy Spirit would fall upon this place anew and afresh. We Look forward to ministries and outreaches and revival, revival. One brother stopped me in the foyer. He said every Wednesday and Sunday he was sharing, just having watch parties. I know a lot of you guys were doing that. And he said, you'd be surprised the people that were watching and continued to engage. And he used the word revival. And that's just uh, bearing witness with my spirit. And I know the pastoral and the leadership team here really believe that God's going to do a new work in this new season. It's going to be like something we haven't seen. How many of you guys believe that? So let's pray for that and let's walk in that and let's expect that. I am reminded of Jesus when he went to his hometown to do miracles, to do a great work, but it left because of their unbelief. He wanted to do a work. And I don't want us to doubt or to waver, to think that this is done, this is the way it's going to be. But man, God, we want something fresh and anew. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. And so we're picking up in verse 23 here tonight. Pastor Brad will cover the radical uh, transformation and conversion of Saul um, on Sunday morning. So make sure you guys come out with us. We're going to pick up in verse 23, and it says this. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples, they took him by night, and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. So this is Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. He is now born again, and he is right out the gate, just causing a lot of issues because he's preaching the gospel. Verses 19 through 23, which we'll cover on Sunday morning, we see Saul ministering. We see him confounding, the Bible says, confounding the Jews with his wisdom as he was preaching Christ in Damascus. And now, at some point in between verses maybe 19 to 23, we know, according to Galatians chapter 1, that he went away to the Arabian desert. He spent some time there. And so I believe that we pick up here in verse 23 when it says, when many days had elapsed, I think that covers the time between the, he spent in Damascus, but also in the Arabian desert. So this was a time of about three years that we see so far. And it was during that time when he was away that God was really pouring into Saul. I believe it was that time of preparation that God was preparing him for the work that God had for him. And I think all of us go through that, whether we've walked with the Lord for a day, a week, a month, or a year. Hopefully we desire to be used by him to uh, serve him in some way, some capacity, some form. How many of you guys would say, yes, that's me? And before we can be used and given a platform to preach, there needs to be that time of preparation, whatever that looks like. And so maybe you're in that season, continue to be faithful, do not grow weary in doing good, and know in due time, God is going to raise you up and do something amazing with you. And this is the time of preparation. The Apostle Paul went through it as well, and that's something that we all need to go through. 
And so he was preaching in Damascus. And it says in verse 22 that he was confounding the wise and just ministering in and out of the synagogues, and he was preaching Christ. And through that, the Jews were not ready to receive. Their hearts were still hard. Even though he was proving to them that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, the one sent by God to save and to restore a relationship between God and man, he proved it to them. But instead of repenting, Instead of getting right, they didn't do that. Their hearts got hard, and we see right here in verse 23 that they plotted together to do away with him. This just shows the, the state of the religious leaders, the Jews at this time, who were waiting and looking for the Messiah. He was, you know, they were getting preached. They crucified him, and now he's proving who Jesus was to them. And instead of receiving and repenting, they tried to put him to death. And so in verse 25, Saul actually found out about this, about this plot. And it's interesting because we're not really sure how he found out. But the interesting thing is we know Saul was one of the main persecutors of the church. He was going out, dragging men and women out of their houses. We've talked about the, um, the hatred that he had towards the church. And so it's interesting how we see kind of this plot twist. And now people were slipping right through his hands. He would go and God was delivering the apostles. God was delivering uh, Christians all around and he probably didn't know how. And now he is on the end of the deliverance. What a blessing it must have been for him thinking, wow, so God, this is how you're doing all the time when I was looking for those Christians. You know, the spirit just gave him some wisdom and some insight and delivered him. And they were able to lower him out of the city in a basket. We pick up in verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described how he had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. He had not, and how he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And when he was with them, moving freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And so the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And so we see the Apostle Paul here as he comes to Jerusalem. They lower him in the basket. He makes his way to Jerusalem. And it wasn't a warm welcome for him. The apostles and the believers, they were a little scared. They were a little hesitant to receive him and to fellowship with him. But he was still doing those things that God called him to do. He was ministering and he was going back and forth with Hellenistic Jews, preaching Jesus. And once again, we see that he wore, he wore out his welcome very, very quickly here. But we see in verse 26, right after he left Damascus, it says he came to Jerusalem. Now, Galatians chapter 1 talks about when he came to Jerusalem. And this was the first time that he came to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the believers there. And it's interesting that the fact that they didn't receive him, that they were leery, and they didn't really know him at all. And this shows and proves a couple of things. One, it proves what Saul spoke about time and time again. He said the message that he received, it wasn't from man. He didn't receive it from man, but he received it from God. And he spoke those things which he had said to him. 
And so this confirms that. The disciples wanted nothing to do with him. The apostles kind of shunned him. So this wasn't something that Peter took under his wing and poured the gospel into him. He received it straight from Christ. But even in the midst of kind of their leeriness and their standoffish, he was able, according to Galatians chapter 1, to spend a couple weeks with Peter. But they didn't believe his conversion was real. I don't know if they thought this was some sort of plot, came up by the Sanhedrin to to trap them, because at this point, he had been a believer for over three years. Three years following, walking with God, being used by God, preaching, and still they didn't receive him. They were still suspicious after all this time. This shows the type of person that he was before, that they're like, man, he walked with the Lord for three years. Let's give him another three. You know, remember what he did? Like, that's where they were with him. But in this, I think we see an immediate humility that we see throughout the writings of the Apostle Paul. He, saw, he thought so less of himself. Everything that he was, he gave it all, laid it all aside. No pride, no prestige, nothing mattered to him. He didn't defend himself at all. He didn't go to them and say, look, I've been a believer for three years. These guys just tried to kill me in Damascus for preaching the gospel. He didn't defend himself at all. He just stayed quiet, even though they were suspicious, even though they were... Uh, leery and kind of judgmental of him. He didn't defend himself at all. And I know that's something that's very easy for us when people are coming against us. We never want to defend ourselves or anything like that. We just humbly stay quiet. We never speak up. Well, some of us maybe, but, if, but those of us who that's not the case, I think there's some humility that we could see here in the apostle Paul. They were leery. They were standoffish, but one, I love these two words in verse 27, but Barnabas. There's a compare and contrast between the believers and the apostles in Jerusalem at this time. They were standoffish. They wanted nothing to do with them. And then the very next verse, chapter, uh, verse 27, it says, but Barnabas. I love those two words. All the others were skeptical. All the other ones were doubting. But Barnabas, he was the one who received and loved him and brought him in. But Barnabas. I circle that in my Bible. I encourage you to do that too. And right next to it, we need to be like Barnabas. We need to be those ones that reach out, that bring people in, that love, that reconcile, and bring people together. People that reach out. And I know there's many Barnabases I look out here, people that love just bringing people together, looking for the ones who are by themselves, who need friends, who need whatever it may be. We reach out, we bring people together. And that's an amazing thing. That's what Barnabas was. And that's a a sweet, sweet quality that he had. And I think we can all have more of in our lives. His name, Barnabas, means son of consolation, consoling, bringing together. And that's who he was. And so he goes to the apostles on his behalf. And he says, look, I've seen this guy. I've seen fruit in his life. I ran across him preaching Jesus. He is a believer, and he brought them together. And he spent two weeks, we know, with Peter, and even with James, got to spend some intimate time with him. And, but also, he was in the synagogues. He was debating the Hellenistic Jews. He was preaching Christ. He was going and doing the things that we know the Apostle Paul to do. And as he was doing that in verse 29 and 30, they, once again, they started coming up with plans to put him to death. And so the apostle said, we got to get him out of here. We got to send him home to Tarsus. And so once again, in just a very short amount of time in the apostle Paul's ministry, we see that him not really vibing, not really ministry being blessed amongst the Jews. He was ministering amongst the Jews in Damascus, preaching Jesus to them in the synagogues, proving that he was the Christ, confounding them with his wisdom, the Bible says. 
Then he goes to Jerusalem and he begins to preach. And once again, not only did the Jews not receive him, but they began to rebel and to attempt to take his life. The second time in a very short, but if we're reminded, and we'll cover a little bit this on Sunday, this was his calling. Jesus, one of the first things that he said when he got saved, he said, I will show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. Imagine that. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, welcome to the family. Your sins are forgiven you. We have fellowship, and I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer for my name. That's what he got. That was his intro. That was his welcome. And once again, right off the bat, we see that in his life. It's also interesting that one of the most fruitful ministers, one of the most fruitful men of God that we see in all of the scriptures in two areas of ministry, they weren't blessed. Went to Damascus. He was preaching in the synagogues. He came to Jerusalem. He was preaching to the Jews. And neither of those ministries were blessed. But he was anointed. He was called gifted, powerful man of God. Why not? And I think we see an important lesson that it's important for all of us to know our gifting, our calling, and what God has called us to do. And to walk in that calling. Just because you play guitar doesn't make you a worship leader. It, it, you got to know what God has called you to do. I can close the service tonight and sing a couple of songs, but I guarantee you will not be blessed and brought before the presence of the Lord. I can guarantee you of that. And so it's important. And not only will the Lord not bless that, but at times if we're doing things that God hasn't called us to do, we begin to strive. And it begins to become a burden upon ourselves. What's going on? What's going on? And oftentimes we're just not gifted in that area. And it's important to know what God has called us to do. And clearly this wasn't the calling as we'll find out. But it's weird because it doesn't make sense. With Paul's background, wouldn't it have been perfect for him to minister and reach the Jews? I mean, could you think of somebody better, circumcised on the eighth day, from the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrew, blameless when it comes to the law, a member of the Sanhedrin. If there wasn't somebody better, who could it be? He'd have been perfect, but that's not what God had. It wasn't the calling that God had upon his life. He had different plans for Paul. Now, in my eyes, I would have said, man, let's Let's just get Paul saved and let's send him into the synagogues and it's going to revival is going to take place. It makes sense. But sometimes our ways are not his. He's wiser. That's not what God had. God had a completely different ministry for him, reaching the Gentiles, going and bringing the Gentiles, ushering them into the kingdom of God. And that's just how God works sometimes. And that's how he works even in our lives sometimes. We think that this is the path that we're going down, that this is what God's doing, and it makes sense to us, and then God completely flips it, and that's okay. And it turns out to be way better once we go with it. I remember early on after I got my life together, I was walking with the Lord for a little bit of time, there wasn't a prison ministry taking place at this church. And I remember me and this gentleman, we, we got together with Pastor Brad, and we started praying and having some ideas to come up with a prison ministry. And I, I was excited. I'd heard, and I met this guy in the men's group, and he, he brought me in, and we started meeting. I thought, this is, this is perfect. This is perfect. I'd been out of jail for just a, a short amount of time, and thought, man, I could go back in there, maybe share my testimony, what God has done. It's going to build bridges. This is going to go well. So this guy, I was helping. We were getting this going, and man, this thing took off. And then we, we filled out our applications to, to get certified as chaplains to go into the prisons. And 
everybody started getting theirs back. <laughs> and people were like, man, praise the Lord, open door, we're ready to go. And I'm like, you got yours back? Oh, I don't know, man. I'm looking at my mailbox. <laughs> All of a sudden, man, the guy who was running the ministry at the time, he gave me a call and he said, I got some bad news. I go, what's going on? You got denied. You can't go in. What do you mean I can't go in? You're past and it's just too dangerous. It's a risk. It, 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 they don't want you in there. Really? Two weeks later, I was hired as the junior high pastor. You see what I'm saying? God has a unique thing. I thought I was going to go and minister to hardened criminals and, and guys like myself. And that's not what God had. He had me working with 12 and 13-year-olds. But it doesn't make sense. Think about that in the world's eyes. Oh, this guy, he's dangerous, man. He's a criminal. We cannot put him behind bars with, with bad, bad people. Let's, uh, let's put him with those 12-year-old kids. It doesn't make sense, but God has a sense of humor. And junior high ministry was so fun. It was an amazing, amazing time just being able to minister. I was able to minister to a lot of your kids and even some of the young adults that are here today. And it was uh, amazing. But it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. But that's okay. Because God is leading and guiding. And so God has to take him out. He wasn't going to he wasn't going to be the one who was going to reach the Jews. And so he had to get out of here once again. And so the apostles caught wind of what they were going to do. They caught wind that they were going to come and that they were going to try to kill him. So they said, we got to get him out of here. Now, again, we see this amazing irony here. Now, Saul, they were hiding him, getting ready him to flee from Jerusalem as a believer when just a couple of chapters ago, he was the one that was causing the Christians to flee Jerusalem because of him. Now he's fleeing because of them. Think about this. He said, you know, oh my gosh, I'm on the run. Wait, the Christians were just on the run for me. Like how he was going through it was, was crazy. Now the apostle Paul, we won't really hear from him again until uh, about chapter 12 when he gets ready to go out on his missionary trip. He goes back to Tarsus and he's just serving the Lord there. And in verse 31, after they get him out of there, I don't know if this is connected, but it says the church had peace. The church had enjoyed great peace. Now, we will pick up in verse 32. It kind of changes a little bit and begins to focus on Peter's ministry. But at the end of this verse 31, it's kind of a, a neat ending to a beginning that started very, very tragically. If we look at verse 1, this chapter began with Saul breathing murderous threats towards believers. And look how it ends with the church enjoying peace. And I think that's just how God works. God can bring peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of crazy situations. He can turn, he can give us peace in the middle of a storm. And this scripture, this verse right here, we need to understand this doesn't mean that everything was perfect in the church, that the Jews were no longer coming against um, the Christians at this time. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mean any of that. What it's saying is that there was perfect peace in the midst of everything that's going on. And that's the same type of peace that we can have. As I look out in a room this big with this many people, I know that some of us are going through storms. Some of us are going through issues and situations that are weighing down upon our hearts and are taking residency in our minds that we think about them. And I encourage you to cast those burdens upon the Lord. And in the midst, it doesn't necessarily mean that the situation is going to go away, but it's going to be okay because Jehovah Shalom will be there with you. We're reminded of Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. They didn't not go into the fiery furnace, but when they were in there, Jesus was with them, and that meant everything. 
And so don't allow outside situations to take away your peace. God wants to give you peace like nothing that the world can give. Supernatural peace in the midst of the chaos, the turmoil, and the situation that you're going through. You can have peace. Let's look at verse 32. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So we turn to Peter here. We'll pick up the Apostle Paul in a couple of chapters. These next few chapters really focus and highlight Peter's ministry. And it says Peter was on the move, which was a little different from Jerusalem. Remember, they stayed there too long, and now they're going out. And he's going from place to place, preaching and reaching, and just seeing how God would use him. He comes across a man, and God uses him to heal him. And through that situation, a revival took place. It says a lot of people came to know the Lord. In verse 32, if you want to circle saints, this was the first time in the scripture that the word saints was used to refer to believers. And let it not puff us up to think that we're holier than now or that we're perfect people. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means we're a different people. It's been referred to as a peculiar. We're different. We're set apart from the world. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're not perfect. We know that we're not a finished work. There's still issues and still things that we battle with, but we're still saints because we're different from the world. And it's important to understand and to remember that, that we need to be different, that we need to walk different, that we need to talk different because we're set apart. We're no longer in this world, but we're of this. And so we got to remember who we are when we find ourselves in conversations, when we find ourselves surrounded, we are saints, we're different. We're different. And if we, are, if we don't remind ourselves that, if we don't, aren't cognizant of that, we're going to find ourselves walking the way that we used to walk or walking it the way the world walks. And we can be no effective, no use for the master at all if we are not different. And so as he was going from place to place, going to out to minister and reach the saints, he came across a man named Ananias. And he was paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. This was a trial. This was painful. You can imagine everything that he was going through. And he comes across this man. It says he found this man. And, it, and it's interesting because as Peter was just going from place to place, town to town ministering, God was the one that was setting up these divine appointments. And he wouldn't have set up these divine appointments if Peter wasn't available, if he wasn't ready, if he wasn't out and about. God, here I am. Use me. I'll be your hands and your feet. And so he comes across this one man. And I also, I love the fact that Peter would take his time for one man. Keep in mind, Peter was the leader of the church at this time. He was a powerful man of God, but he didn't see one person below him. He was still willing to, to minister to the one. And over this section, we're going to see that Peter really took in the teachings and understood and watched Jesus. Because that's the same heart that Jesus had, who was the Messiah. But he would go out of his way for the one, the woman at the well. He would leave his flock of 99 for the one. And so he saw that in Jesus, and so that's the heart that he had. He was always looking for the one. So he found this one man, and he began to minister to him. And I want to encourage us throughout our day that God would give us eyes to look for the one, for the divine appointment, 
the person that we work with, the neighbor that we live next to, the people within our sphere of influence, that the one would come to us and we would see and say, God, I know you want me to go encourage that person, to do something for them. If we're, if we're looking, I guarantee God will use this. And so he comes across this man, and Peter, filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to him in verse 34, Jesus Christ heals you, make up your bed, and get up. And the man did it. So this divine appointment, this guy was healed, who was paralyzed, bedridden for eight years, thinking that this is the way that it's going to be forever. I'm waving a white flag, I mean, my life has changed. But God, but God sent Peter, he was able, ready, and willing to be used by God, and this man's life was changed. Now, God is not a respecter of persons. That's a pretty cool story. Replace Peter's name with your name here tonight. How many of you guys would love to be used by God in that way, to heal somebody who was in any sort of form of bondage for eight years with no hope? We would love that. And I believe that God would love that as well. I believe there's Ananias all around us. I believe there's Ananias that we know, and God's just waiting for us to be like Peter to step out in faith, to pray and to lay hands and to do whatever it is that he would cause, call us to do. This took faith, great faith, faith that comes from an empowering of the Holy Spirit, an extra measure of faith given by the Holy Spirit for Peter to say this. Now we know Peter was a mighty man of God, but in front of all these people, to know that this man was paralyzed for eight years to, stand, to say, stand up, grab your mat, it's time to go could have been embarrassed oh god what what if i say this and he he doesn't get up what what if there's a lot of what ifs that could have went to his mind but he didn't care because he was empowered by the holy spirit and he trusted god so it didn't only take faith to say this but also took faith for this man in this discouraged state eight years paralyzed handicapped he could have laughed (laughs) I don't know if you got the minimal, buddy. You're probably not from around here, but hello, I'm handicapped. I can't, I can't get up, but he doesn't do that at all. He gets up. It says immediately he got up and this is the divine appointment. Obviously, if God didn't set this up, God had already did something in this man's heart. He wanted to do something in this man's life that was going to be bigger than just this man. The whole community was going to come to faith through this man's testimony. And he was just looking for Peter who was going to step out in faith the perfect time and heal this man. And so Peter says some pretty radical, this this type of speech is radical. Get up. Notice what he said in verse 34. Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. This type of speech is, it's radical and it's a, It's something that we see today and something that maybe we shy away from because we see it misused. If you want to see it misused, when you get home tonight, you can turn on your religious television and there will be a healing service going on. In the name of Jesus, get up! All of a sudden, they just not only get up, they start shaking. It's amazing. And you see this and you're thinking, man, what's going on? Like, these people are speaking these things. Be healed and be delivered. I don't know why they always go, ah, at the end. It's just, I think that's part of the power. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what it is. But you see it and you're thinking, man. And it, and it, and it doesn't bear witness with our spirit. You're thinking, this just doesn't feel right. Why are these people waving their jackets? Be healed. Like, why? I, I, it seems different. 
And I believe it is of a different spirit. And so, so we shy away and we've got to be careful not to throw the baby with the bathwater because I believe we see Peter doing this here. He stepped out in faith and he spoke this. And it's important for us to understand the difference between being led by the Spirit, being used by the Spirit, and trying to lead and manipulate it and control. There's a big difference to create some emotional experience. Just because we see something misused and abused within the church, it doesn't mean it's not true and it's not wrong. I know a lot of brothers and sisters who, same thing, they see the gift of tongues. And they see it just misused and, and not in order. And so they, they just rebel and they go from the opposite end of it. And we got to be careful that we don't, we don't find ourselves with that because I believe we can miss out something. I believe that we can miss out on things that God wants us to do. We can miss out when God gives us words. We can't be afraid to step out. Peter wasn't. And Peter wasn't, this was who he was. He did the same thing, remember with the the gentleman who was at the gate, which was beautiful. He walked by, he was willing to to be bold and to step out and to be used by God because he knew the shepherd's voice. God, is that you? Okay, I'm gonna step out. Rise up and walk. He said the same thing here. Rise up and walk. And we gotta be willing to speak truth into people's lives when God puts words on our hearts. It's not weird. If it's divine, it's divine. And God put something on my heart. I just want to pray for you. I believe, I just think he wants to heal. I think he wants to do something. That's okay. Hey, are you struggling with something right now? I feel like God wants to deliver you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. And speak those things out and, and, and walk in that. And that's what Peter did. And through this miracle, we see in verse 35, this one little miracle from this one person, it says that God opened up the door and this whole region turned to the Lord. It's amazing. Look at verse 36. It says, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated in Greek called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened. At that time, she fell sick and died. And when they washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him. Do not delay coming to us. And so Peter arose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and the garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and he knelt down and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up, and calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became, no, it became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And while Peter was there, he stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So after this miracle takes place, he heads to Joppa, which is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem, which is very, very close to modern-day Tel Aviv. And while he's there, we get introduced to um, a young lady named Tabitha. Her name is also Dorcas. She ended up passing away. He goes to be with her, and this miraculous miracle takes place. Now, poor girl, Tabitha, she would have loved being called, probably not Dorcas. 
And both of those names are translated gazelle, okay? I hope she was a beautiful girl or she learned how to fight at a young age. Um, I mean, Dorcas, the name is a gazelle. But one thing we know that was beautiful about her was her personality, her heart for the Lord. Listen in these few verses how she is described in the scriptures. She was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. It's amazing. This was an amazing woman who impacted her community. She was a pillar and she did a lot of nice things. And so they go and they say, after she passes away, they go and get Peter. And they ask Peter to, to come and Peter being led by the spirit, it says he arose and he went. He was just, he had no schedule. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm here. Man, there's a, rival, a revival just took place. People came to know you. But if you want me to go down to Joppa, I'll go. I'm not going to fight, kick, scream. I am yours. And what we see here in the life of Peter, we see throughout his life in the book of Acts. The type of person that Peter was, I believe, is the reason that God used him. He was flexible. We see flexibility. It, it wasn't about his plans. We see it very early on his way to the temple to pray. But he stops and he interacts with the, the layman at the gate. He was in... Um, one region and now he's in Joppa. Lord, whatever you want me to do, there's flexibility. There's also a sensitivity to the spirit. God, is that you? Are you wanting to do something here? Okay, I'm, I'm open to that. And availability. God, I'm yours. I'm yours. And so often we, we want to be used by God. God, use me, use me, use me. And we're missing out on opportunities right in front of us because maybe we're missing one of the big three. Maybe we're not spending time with the Lord enough to know his voice. And we're not sensitive to the moving and the leading of his spirit. Maybe we're not flexible. Oh, man, look at that person. I, I would have pulled over, but I got to get to the gym. Not me. Some, I'm using some of you guys. I don't, I don't want to pretend holier than that. All right, all right. But, you know, you guys get the illustration. I would have done that, but this or, or but that. Whatever it may be. Or you're just not available. You're too busy. God's like, I want to use you. You're, you're praying for me to use you, but you got no time. You got no time for me. You're just busy with all these different things. And we're missing out. And so he goes. And as he arrives, there's all the widows that were there. And they were just weeping. And they were bringing all the things that she had made them. And they're weeping and just crying. And it's a sad situation. The community is there. Now, as soon as he gets in the room, he, he sends everybody out, it says in verse 40. Now, we're not exactly sure why he sends everyone out. But like I said, as we look at Peter's life, I think Peter watched Jesus closely. And he listened to Jesus' teachings very, very closely. And he understood what it meant to be a Christian was to be Christ-like. So why did he send them out? It's my personal belief. I think he just saw Jesus do it before. He saw Jesus do it. You guys are familiar with the story in Mark chapter 5 with Jairus' daughter? He shows up and he gets everybody out and, and, he, and, he, and he raised this woman from the dead. He said the very same thing that Jesus said. The miracle that he did earlier was very like what Jesus did to the, to the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. So Peter watched and yeah, I'm going to try to be like Jesus and do what Je the things that Jesus did. And it's interesting because I was thinking about that, those bracelets or those shirts like WWJD, what would Jesus do? He might even have thought that. What would Jesus do in this situation? And I think that's a great thing to think for our own lives and our own souls as we're going through the day. A situation arises, what would Jesus do in this? 
Well, he probably wouldn't honk, 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 honk at the person who cut me off. He probably wouldn't do that. So let me not do that. If we thought about what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, that's what Jesus did and he modeled it. So we're not really sure, but this is what he did. And in this, because he did this, we see one of the most miraculous miracles throughout the book of Acts. Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brings this woman back to life. And in this, we continue to see the power of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts and throughout his church. The power in the early church was absolutely amazing. And we see him raise this woman to life. The words of Jesus in John chapter 14 come to mind. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How is this man raising people from the dead? She said, you're going to do greater works. The greater work is him doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And he's walking in that power and he's doing it. And so when we read the book of the early church, when we read Acts and as we see these types of things, we're amazed, but it seems so far away. And why? Why does it seem so far away? Has the power and the move of the Holy Spirit, as it's gone on, is, is the Holy Spirit weaker? Has, it, has the power of the Holy Spirit lessened? Or has our faith? It's got to be one or the other. Or either the Holy Spirit over these uh, thousands of years, man, the Holy Spirit's been doing a, a lot of amazing things. He's getting weary. He's getting tired. He's getting fatigued. He's like, man, I can't raise people from the dead anymore. Or do we not have the faith like the early church had? Something we really got to think about and pray. I think we see the move of the Spirit in the books of Acts because they were open. They were willing. They were, they were ready. They believed in the name of the Lord Jesus and the power of the, the name of the Jesus, that duminous power, that appeal power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And so this woman was raised from the dead. As we think, as we read how Tabitha was raised from the dead, immediately my mind begins to go, why? Why did God choose Tabitha to raise from the dead? Why Tabitha? We just covered uh, an awesome section of scripture where a powerful man of God, Stephen, was martyred, died for his faith. Why Tabitha and why not Stephen? That's just the way my mind works. Anybody else asks a lot of why questions? Why this, God? Why do you allow this to happen and not this? God, why did you do that? Why did you take this person? What, what's going on? Why, why, why? And, and we don't know. I'm not sure why he did that. But I think it's something that we got to be on guard from. Guard our hearts on, on asking why and just drawing close to him in faith, understanding his ways on our ways. And sometimes if he gives the why, we don't even understand. We can't get to it, but the one thing we can understand is that he's good, that he's perfect, and his ways are just and true. So we got to trust him through it, knowing that everything that he does is for our good and for his glory. And so it says in verse 42, this miracle became known and many believed in the Lord. Peter had no idea. As he was just going out from place to place, said he would heal this man, Aeneas, that he would end up in Joppa, raise this woman from the dead. These one people, these one divine appointments that God would set up would make such a large impact in these communities. He had no clue. He was just doing the things that God wanted him to do. 
And be encouraged in that. You never know the impact that you will make in people's lives when you do just the smallest of things. God can use the smallest of things in big and powerful ways. But he would have never been able to impact her. He would have never been able to do the miracle if he wasn't willing to step out. And so let's step out. Let's be available. Let's be flexible and know that God's going to use those little things that we do for him. Even if we don't see the fruit now, you never know. You never know the fruit that will come. Some of you guys might be familiar with a, a preacher, maybe, maybe not, named Mordecai Ham. Does that name ring familiar to anybody? Okay. Mordecai Ham was a preacher. He didn't have a very successful ministry at all. It wasn't booming. It wasn't a part of any revival or anything like that. But there was this one man named William that got saved under Mordecai Ham's ministry. He didn't know him. This man, William, went on to be an evangelist and to lead responsible possibly for millions. We know this William as Billy, right? So this guy named Billy Graham. Mordecai Ham had no clue what took place. He had no clue of the fruit. He's gonna, he probably got to heaven. And he's like, what? Lord, I had a church of 10 people. What's going on? He's like, oh, man, you have no clue. Wait, William? <laughs> yes. So you never know the little impact that you're going to make. Plant seeds, water them, sow them, continue to be faithful, continue to step out doing those things that God has called us to do. And so while he was in Joppa at the end, we see this little obscure scripture that he stayed with a man named Simon. Now, this man Simon, there's nothing special about him, but the interesting thing is that he was a tanner. And tanners uh, were involved in a very, very unique trade that got them ostracized from the community. This, the, the fact that they dealt with dead animals led, made them constantly ceremonial unclean, and they could not live within 25 meters of the villages. They were ostracized. They were outside of it. It was so bad that a wife of a tanner could actually legally divorce her husband. And it'd be no problem. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible, terrible thing. And so the fact that Peter, that it's mentioned here that he is staying with him, it's breaking down walls of religion. It's breaking down walls of tradition. He's breaking them down with love. And it's also showing the maturity and the work that God has done in Peter's heart, this little Jewish boy who would never want anything to do with a man who was around dead animals. But God changed his heart. God changed his life. And now he's hanging around with a tanner. And he's staying with him for, for multiple days. But he doesn't care because he understands grace. It's not about tradition or religion and these walls. And so in closing, my encouragement tonight is let us bring people together. Let us reach out and bring people together like Barnabas. Let's preach and know and walk in our call like Saul. And let's be humble, available, sensitive, and flexible like Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just for tonight, for your word. God, in the beginning, we ask that you would bless and that you would send your spirit and just teach us and help us and make us more like you, God. And by, by faith, we, we believe that. We believe that your spirit moved and touched. And we pray now, God, that we would meditate upon the word that you spoke tonight. We'd allow worship just to water down. We want to we want it to stick deep. We don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers of your word. We don't want to deceive ourselves. And so God, during this time, would you send your Holy Spirit to move and to, to flow in this place, God? 
We give you freedom. We give you access to our hearts and to our lives, Lord, to do an amazing work. And God, I pray that we would look at Barnabas, that we would look at Saul, and that we'd look at Peter, and we would take things from their lives and apply it to ours, God. I think we all could be a little more hospitable. Reach out like Barnabas, bringing people together. Lord, I know that we could be more passionate, more bold in preaching the gospel like, like Paul. And God, we've seen you do great and amazing and mighty things through Peter, God. And we believe it was because he was flexible. He was sensitive to your spirit. He was available. And he was humble. Help us to be that. We want to be used by you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to have an opportunity just to worship. And so I encourage you just to be here, to, to be present. I confess Bowing here I find my rest Without you I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, now I sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are and where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ to me and where you are Lord, I am free of holiness is Christ to me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one. Righteousness, oh God, how I need you. So teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay When I cannot stand or fall on you Jesus, you're my hope and stay 
some here tonight that know their calling I believe that they know very clearly from God what he, he wants from them to do but they're afraid and they're, they're not walking in it and I want to pray just a, a fresh anointing and some strength and some power upon your life to, to do that to not be afraid to, to, to step out and to serve God in the way that he's called you so everybody bow your heads and close your eyes with Sensitivity we got going on right now. If that's you, if that's speaking to you, you know, and you're not walking it. I just want to pray for you. We just simply raise your hand. Simply raise your hand. Yeah. I see you. I see you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, God. Lord, you are such a kind and gracious and loving God that you would save us. Lord, when we were separated, dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, that was just the beginning of an abundance fruitful life, walking with you, talking with you, and serving you. God, I thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, through it, you impart gifts and talents, Lord. You desire to use through us to be your hands and your feet, God. And I I thank you so much for those who raised their hand here tonight, who know their talents, know their gifting, know their calling. Lord, they're just not answering it. They're just not being faithful to it. Lord, first off, I just thank you for the humility and them raising their hands. Not to be embarrassed or to ashamed because you know. You're the one that was speaking to their heart. But tonight I pray that they would hear the loving voice of a shepherd who's saying, let's go. I've called you and I've equipped you. And I want to do a great work through you, Lord. I thank you for the grace because you don't need us. You allow us to be a part of your kingdom work, impacting and changing lives. And so, Lord, I pray a a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit upon those who raise their hands here tonight, that you would empower them and give them extra faith and it would drive fear far away, that they would step out and walk in that calling, operating in the gifts and the ministries that you have given to them. God, and I pray that over all of us, Lord, even as we were preaching, as I was preaching tonight, Lord, I was preaching to myself, Lord, help us to be bold enough to step out and to speak those things that you've placed on our heart, whether it's a word of encouragement a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, Lord. Stepping out in faith if you want to heal or or use us to pray deliverance over somebody. God, give us the faith. Give us the strength to step out. So I pray for those and for all of us to, to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. We all say amen. Let's worship. Come like a rushing wind Come like the fire again Come like a burning flame Have your way, have your way Come like a rushing wind Come like the fire again 
Come like a burning flame Have your way, have your way Come like a rushing wind Come like a fire again Come like a burning flame Have your way With our hands to the heavens alive In your presence, oh God When you come So pour out your spirit We love to be near you, oh God When you come With our hands to the heavens alive In your presence, oh God when you come, so pour out your spirit, we love to be near you, oh God. When you come, like a rushing wind, come like a rushing wind, come like a fire again, come like a burning flame, have your way. Have your way Come like a rushing wind Come like the fire again Come like a burning flame Have your way Have your way Come like a rushing wind Come like the fire again Come like a burning flame Have your way Have your way Father, that's more of a song. It's more than a song tonight. Lord, we want your spirit. We want your spirit. We need your Holy Spirit, God. Not only within our church and the ministries, but in our lives personally, Lord. Lord, we can see the doomless power, the AP power, what it does in a person's life. How it can turn Peter from a coward who denies you to this bold man of God that we've been reading about, Lord. The only thing that changes your spirit coming upon his life. And Lord, we want that, we need that, and so we ask that tonight, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in our lives, that you would fill us afresh and anew, Lord, to do those things that you've called us to do, to be your hands, to be your feet, to be bold witnesses in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, to the ends of the earth, Lord. To be those men and women that you've called us to be. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We confess that, we realize that here tonight. So even as you said, if we ask that you would give your spirit and so pour it out upon your people tonight that we would leave overflowing. God, we pray for revival and we know it starts with us. That's why we want to start with us, Lord. And we believe as we go out into our communities, we'll share the hope that lies within us. People will be added. You will add to the church daily those who are being saved. God, and we will change West Garden Grove. It'll never be the same. Then it'll go to Westminster, then Huntington Beach. Lord, we believe that you want to pour out your spirit. You're just looking for those, those labors. And here we are, Lord. 
We want to be used by you. We want to see the book of Acts within our church, within these walls, within this place, within our communities. Lord, we believe that your spirit is still as strong. Lord, so give us the faith to step out, to share, to pray, whatever it is that you've called us to do. So Lord, as we leave, go with us, God. And guide us, lead us, direct us, and protect us. We pray in Jesus' name. We all say amen. God bless you guys. Stand up for the final song. We're going to leave.